Chapter Five, Part Two of the Curious Lore of Precious Stones. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Curious Lore of Precious Stones by George Frederick Kuntz. Chapter Five on Ominous and Luminous Stones. Part Two the hindus believed that a flawed diamond or one containing specks or spots was so unlucky that it could even deprive indra of his highest heaven the original shape of the stone was also considered of great importance more especially in early times when but few if any diamonds were cut a triangular stone was said to cause quarrels a square diamond inspired the wearer with vague terrors. A five-cornered stone had the worst effect of all, for it brought death. Only the six-cornered diamond was productive of good. The Turkish Sultan Bayezid II, 1447-1512, is said to have been done to death by a dose of pulverized diamond administered to him by his son Selim, who mixed the diamond dust with the sultan's food. It is also related that the disciples of Paracelsus, 1493-1541, spread the report that he died from the effects of a dose of diamond dust. Ambrosius conjectures that this was only an excuse to explain the demise of the master in the prime of life, he was but forty-eight years old at the time of his death, although he promised long life to all who made use of his medicaments. While Benvenuto Cellini, 1500-1571, the unrivaled goldsmith, was imprisoned in Rome in 1538, he strongly suspected that his enemies were seeking to poison him by tampering with his food. Cellini shared the belief of his contemporaries that there was no more deadly poison than diamond dust. One day, while eating his noonday meal, he felt something great between his teeth. He paid no particular attention to this. But when he had finished eating, his eye was caught by some bright particles on the plate. Picking up one of these and examining it carefully, he was terrified to find what he supposed to be a diamond splinter, and he straightway gave himself up for lost, thinking that he had swallowed a quantity of diamond dust. He prayed to God for an hour, and finally became reconciled to the thought of dying. But suddenly it occurred to him that he had not tested the hardness of the fragment he had found in his food. He immediately took the splinter and tried to crush it between his knife and the stone window-sill. To his joy, the attempt succeeded, and he became convinced that what he had swallowed was not diamond dust. Later, after his release, Cellini learned that an enemy had given a diamond to a certain Leone Aretino, a gem-cutter, instructing him to grind it up so that the dust could be placed in Cellini's food. The gem-cutter was very poor, and the diamond was worth a hundred scudi. So the man yielded to temptation and substituted a citrine for the diamond. To this circumstance alone did Cellini attribute 
his escape from death. In England, more than seventy years after Cellini's experience, diamond dust was selected as a poison to do away with a luckless prisoner. Sir Thomas Overbury had incurred the bitter animosity of the Countess of Essex, because he opposed her marriage with the favourite of James I, Robert Carr, Viscount of Somerset, whom he had befriended and whose career he had furthered. The marriage took place, however, and in 1613 Overbury was imprisoned in the tower through the machinations of the Countess. She then sought the aid of one James Franklin, an apothecary, directing him to concoct a slow and deadly poison, which should be mixed with Overbury's food. In the minutes of Franklin's confession, he is said to have stated that the Countess asked him what he thought of white arsenic. His reply was that this poison would prove too violent. "'What say you,' quoth she, "'to powder of diamonds?' He answered, "'I know not the nature of that.' She said that he was a fool, and gave him pieces of gold, and bade him buy some of that powder for her. It appears, however, from the testimony, that a number of ingredients were employed, quite probably small doses of mercury, cantharides, etc., as well as the baleful diamond dust. Poor Overbury lingered on for more than three months, but was finally put out of his misery by a clyster of corrosive sublimate. As a proof of the deadly effects caused by the diamond, the Portuguese Zacutus relates the case of a merchant's servant who surreptitiously swallowed three rough diamonds belonging to his master. On the following day, this man was seized with violent abdominal pains. All the remedies administered to him were without effect and he soon died from the extensive internal ulceration produced by the sharp edges of the diamonds. This old fancy that diamonds or diamond dust had deadly effects when swallowed is pretty well exploded by this time, little or no confirmation being afforded by the instances cited in the matter. However, quite recently, it has been shown that swallowing a diamond can prove fatal to a fowl. While a prize-winning cockerel was being fondled by his proud owner, it spied a flashing diamond set in a ring on his hand, and immediately pecked out the stone and swallowed it. Not long after, the fowl died. Not, however, because it was poisoned by the diamond, but because it was chloroformed to ensure the speedy recovery of the stone. An old English ballad, treating of the loves of Hindhorn and Maid Rimnild, recounts that when Hindhorn, who loved and was beloved by the king's daughter, went to sea to escape the wrath of the king, the princess gave him a ring set with seven diamonds. We are told that when far from home, one day he looked his ring upon, he saw the diamond pale and wan. Hereupon he hastened back, for the paleness of the stone was a sign the loved one was unfaithful to him. On his return, he succeeded in preventing her marriage to another, and everything ended happily. 
in a fourteenth-century manuscript of the old english romance upon which the ballad is founded the stone in the ring is not named in giving it rimniel says look thou forsake it for no thing the stone it is well true when the stone wexeth wan then changeth the thought of thy lemon take then anew when the stone wexeth red then have ye lawn me maidenhead or gains the untrue in this older form of the tale the stone either grows pale or red as a sign of misfortune it is interesting to note that epiphanius writing a thousand years earlier states that the adamas of the high priest grew red as a presage of bloodshed and defeat for the jews regarding the old fancy that a serpent could not look upon an emerald without losing its sight the arabian gem dealer ahmed taifashi in 1242 writes as follows after having read in learned books of this peculiarity of the emerald i tested it by my own experiment and found the statements exact it chanced that i had in my possession a fine emerald of the zabibi variety and with this i decided to make the experiment on the eyes of a viper therefore having made a bargain with a snake charmer to procure me some vipers as soon as i received them i selected one and placed it in a vessel this being done i took a stick of wood attached to the end of a piece of wax and embedded my emerald in this i then brought the emerald near to the viper's eyes the reptile was strong and vigorous and even raised its head out of the vessel but as soon as i approached the emerald to its eyes i heard a slight crepitation and saw that the eyes were protruding and dissolving into a humour after this the viper was dazed and confused i had expected that it would spring from the vessel but it moved uneasily hither and thither without knowing which way to turn all its agility was lost and its restless movements soon ceased wolfgang gabelkover in his commentary on the sixth book of the treatise de gemis by andrea baccio gives the following account of a strange and tragic experience in regard to a ruby it is worthy of note that the true oriental ruby by frequent changes of color and by growing obscurity announces to the wearer some impending misfortune or calamity and the obscurity and opacity is greater or less according to the extent of the coming ill fortune alas that what i had often heard proclaimed by learned men i should myself experience for as on the fifth of december sixteen hundred i was travelling from stuttgart to kalve with my beloved wife catherine edelman of pious memory i plainly observed in the course of the journey that a very beautiful ruby which she had given me and which i wore on my hand set in a gold ring once and again lost its splendid colouring and became obscure changing its brightness for a dark hue this dark hue continued not for one or two days only but so long that i was greatly terrified and removing the ring from my finger concealed it in a case 
wherefore i repeatedly warned my wife that some great calamity was impending either for her or for myself the which i inferred from the change and variation of the ruby nor was i deceived for within a few days she was seized with a dangerous illness which resulted in her death a story explaining one at least of these supposedly ominous changes of color in precious stones is given by johann jakob spenner who states that it was told him by a trustworthy informant there was a jeweler expert prudent and rich three essential qualities in a jeweler one day after having washed his hands this man sat at a table when glancing at a ruby ring he wore in his finger he remarked that the stone which usually delighted the eye with its splendor had lost its brilliancy and become dull since he believed what others had related to him he was firmly persuaded that some misfortune threatened him and having removed the ring from his finger he placed it in its case a fortnight later one of this man's sons died of varioloid reminded by this event of the phenomenon observed in the ruby the jeweler took it from the case and found on examination that it had regained its pristine brilliancy this fact confirmed in his belief in the ominous quality of the stone once more shortly after washing his hands he remarked anew that the splendor of the ruby was dimmed and again he fell prey to anxiety lest some fresh misfortune was impending since however his apprehensions proved vain and no untoward event happened he investigated the matter carefully and discovered that the obscuration of the color was due to a drop of water which had penetrated between the ruby and the foil as the jewelers call it and that the former brilliancy returned when the water had evaporated the ominous character of the onyx is especially noted in arabic tradition as is shown by the arabic name for the stone el jaza sadness the following passage from pseudo aristotle offers an illustration of the strength of this prejudice against the onyx which was said to come from china and the maghreb those who are in the land of china fear this stone so much that they dread to go into the mines where it occurs hence none but slaves and menials who have no other means of gaining a livelihood take the stone from the mines when it has been extracted it is carried out of the country and sold in other lands those men of the maghreb also who are gifted with any wisdom will not wear an onyx or place it in their treasuries indeed no one is willing to wear it unless he be bereft of his senses for whosoever wears it either set in a ring or in any other way will have fearful dreams and be tormented by a multitude of doubts and apprehensions he will also have many disputes and lawsuits lastly whoever keeps an onyx in his house or places it in a vessel or puts it in food or drink will suffer loss of energy and capacity an ominous character was attributed to the red coral especially the more highly colored varieties if worn so that the substance came in direct contact with the skin it was asserted that the color would pale 
the coral also losing its brightness if the wearer became ill or even if he were only threatened with severe illness the same effect was said to be induced if some deadly poison had been taken cardano writes that he more than once observed this phenomenon and he thinks that in these cases where the wearer was not yet attacked by disease its threatening vapor though not strong enough to provoke decided symptoms in the human body was sufficiently powerful to offset the more delicate and subtle essence of the mineral substance of course for us the mineral would be much less sensitive than flesh and blood but the sixteenth-century writers, and to a still greater degree those of an earlier time, attributed to stones not only life in a general way, but old age, disease, and death in a very positive sense. Rabbinical tradition tells of a wonderful luminous stone placed by Noah in the ark, this stone shone more brilliantly by day than by night, and served to distinguish the day from the night when, during the flood, neither sun nor moon could be seen. According to another Jewish legend, Abraham is said to have built a city for the six sons Hagar bore to him. The wall with which this city was surrounded was so lofty that the light of the sun was cut off, and to offset this, Abraham gave to his sons enormous precious stones and pearls. These exceeded the sun in brightness, and will be used in the time of the Messiah. Elion relates the following tale of a luminous stone. A woman of Tarentum named Heracles, who was a pattern of the domestic virtues, lost her husband and mourned sincerely for him her grief made her compassionate for when a young stork just learning to fly lost its strength and fell to the ground before her heracles picked up the helpless bird and tended to it carefully until its strength returned and it was able to fly away a year later when the woman was outside the house enjoying the bright warm sunshine she saw a stork flying toward her as the bird passed overhead it let fall a precious stone into her lap heracles took the stone with her into the house feeling by an infallible instinct that the stork which had dropped it was the one she had cared for in the previous year during the night she woke up and was astonished to see that the room was lighted up as though by many torches, the radiance proceeding from the stone bestowed by the stork as a proof of its gratitude. In German, the stone called Donnerkeil, thunderbolt, has several synonyms. Among these is Storkstein, or Storkstone. It is evident that the stone of Heracles was identical with the precious and brilliant variety of Seraunie mentioned by Pliny, which drew to themselves the radiance of the stars. The flashing and ruddy light of the ruby, suggested in igneous origin, and induced the belief that rubies were generated by a fire from heaven, in other words, by the lightning flash. 
the analogy between the flame of a lamp or the glow of a burning coal and the radiance of a ruby suggested some of the names given to this stone or those resembling it in color as for instance the greek anthrax and the latin carbunculus and lichnus probably the fancy that such stones were luminous in the dark was nothing more than the logical result of the quasi-identification of them with fire in some of its manifestations still it is a well-known fact that some stones possess a high degree of phosphorescence this circumstance must have been observed by chance and may have had something to do with the legends of luminous stones although this peculiarity is not characteristic of the ruby according to pliny the lichness perhaps a spinal was so called a lucanarum exensu from the lighting or the light of lamps the author of the poem lithica says that the diamond adamas like the crystal when placed on an altar set forth a flame without the aid of fire if this did not refer to the use of rock crystal as a burning glass we might see in the passage an indication that the phosphorescence of the diamond had already been noted before the second or third century of our era from the lydian river tmolus a marvelous stone was taken which was said to change color four times a day this surpasses the properties of the sapphire mervilu which changed its hue at night only innocent young girls could find the lydian stone and while they wore it they were defended from outrage is it possible that the ancient writer intended to hint at the proverbial fickleness of woman when stating that this changeable stone could only be discovered by one of the fair sex the temple of the syrian goddess astarte contained an image of this divinity crowned with a diadem in which was set a luminous stone such was the splendor of the light emitted by this gem that the whole sanctuary was lighted up as though with a myriad of lamps indeed this stone itself bore the name lychnos lamp in the daytime this light was fainter but was still very noticeable as a fiery glow end of part two end of section fourteen